Chapter 83 Al-Mutaffifin The Defrauders Woe unto the defrauders who cheat others. Mutaffif is defined as one who cheats, defrauds, and shortchanges others, or gives less in weight and measure. The chapter begins with a denunciation and a stern warning, Wail, woe upon you, directed at such people to let them know that their immoral practice will have dire consequences for their fate. The title comes from a root that means side, border, and generally anything that is on the side. It also means to put less, to diminish, and to deduct. In fact, the Quran is relating a characteristic and practice that may bear upon all of us to some degree, for we are all traders in one sense or another. We may not be a business person in the traditional sense, however, we do sell merchandise, namely, our labor or expertise, and are compensated for it. What are the attributes of those who shortchange others? Who demand full measure for themselves when receiving items from people. In other words, they believe that they are entitled to receive full value for their money when purchasing an item and that it should be without defect. But cause them loss when they measure or weigh items for them. But when it comes to fulfilling their own obligations and honoring their customers' rights, they are lax and deliberately cause them to suffer harm and loss. Expecting the best for oneself and not worrying about others' rights or what happens to them is human nature. Thus, this chapter is relevant to all who violate other people's rights by reneging on their promises. Those who shortchange others are, in reality, devaluing, demeaning, and disrespecting the other person's individuality and worth. This is an act of betrayal, for the self-centered defrauders feel that they are the only ones worthy of respect, as evidenced in their demand that they receive everything to which they are entitled, and that it be perfect. Do they think that they will not be raised again? Note that أَنَّهُمْ مَبْعُثُونَ is a nominal sentence and not a verbal sentence, which denotes that people are in the process of being raised right now as opposed to sometime in the future. Arising from unconsciousness and slumber is not restricted to the day of judgment. Rather, we are continuously awakening from the moment we are born. This awakening can be defined as all of those activities and their effects that leave indelible marks upon our souls and spirits. For a mighty day, the hereafter. Therefore, there is no disconnect between our lives in this world and in the hereafter. The latter concludes our worldly life, and thus we are preparing ourselves and shaping our future and ultimate fate every day. 
Awakening is therefore a gradual and consistent process of growth. The day on which everyone will stand before the Lord of the worlds. The verbal noun qiyam means to rise and come face to face. Interestingly, the Quran uses the same verb when discussing finances. Therefore, qiyam here means to elevate the standard of living and to improve and develop a society. Financial resources and investments propel technological and economic growth and also improve the people's quality of life. Societies that invest in institutions provide access to greater resources by enabling the establishment of advanced research centers, universities, and libraries. The Quran's blueprint for humanity is to rise toward the Lord of the worlds, to become godlike by strengthening and nurturing one's divine attributes for the rising on the day of judgment. No, indeed, surely fate, the record of the wicked, is in Sijin. The Fujar, immoral or wicked, are those who violate boundaries and thus all laws and moral values. Those who have inner discipline, respect laws, and honor others' rights are known as the Muttaqi, the God-conscious. This world's affairs are regulated by certain laws and order that necessitate respect for certain boundaries, one of which is to honor people's rights. An immoral person disregards this law, dismisses others' rights, and shortchanges them. This definition also applies to all people who do not perform their job properly or render substandard services and yet still expect to receive full compensation. What should be done with such people? The verse employs sijin, prison the emphatic form of sijin, to stress that this cell resembles solitary confinement. Focusing on this world's affairs instead of on their eternal life and actualizing their godly attributes causes them to exist in a haze of ignorance about the fate they are forming for themselves. What will explain to you what sijin is? And what do you know about this narrow prison cell? The Quran uses this phrase, what can explain for you, to stress that the subject under consideration is complex and thus hard to comprehend. A written record. Our fate is sorted out and inscribed based on our deeds. But because this concept is not related to this world, we have no idea how our actions are recorded. We often speak without thinking of the consequences or do something in private without realizing it will eventually become public knowledge. Woe to the deniers on that day! Wail, woe upon you! directed at deniers to let them know that their denial will have dire consequences. Who deny the reality of the Day of Judgment
The deniers say that the day of judgment is a lie, that their deeds will not shape their fate, and that the concept of reward and punishment, deen, is false. They conduct their affairs by making use of power and money, as well as their ability to intimidate others, which none can deny except the sinful aggressor. Who considers the day of judgment to be a lie? Only those who deny it verbally? What about those who manifest their disbelief by committing injustice and enroaching upon others' rights? The noun mu'tad refers to those who violate others' rights and the adjective athim denotes a sin rooted in ego and self-worship. Such people are, in actuality, denying the day of judgment. We need to realize that anyone, no matter the profession, can cheat others. In truth, those who believe that they are preparing their fate here will not dare to violate other people's rights, for if they did so, then how could they face the Lord of the worlds on that majestic day? When our signs are recited to him, he says, Fables of the Ancients. Those who deny the Day of Judgment say that their ancestors also talked about this subject and claim that these verses and signs are nothing but tales of the ancient times. Today, some people say basically the same thing. These words, revealed 14 centuries ago, have no place in a modern society. Such people resemble the people of Noah's time who dismissed these same words and ideas as belonging to the bygone era of Adam and Eve, and thus as irrelevant to their own time. No, indeed, but that which they have earned is rust upon their hearts. In fact, their deeds and words have covered their hearts with rust. However, avoiding such unrighteous deeds can cause the rust to begin peeling off and thereby brighten one's heart until it is wholly luminous and radiant. These metaphors help explain certain hard-to-grasp truths. The verse states that the heart, conscience, of a defrauder and deceitful person becomes so dull and desensitized that it can no longer perceive the truth, just like a mud-stained mirror can no longer reflect light. No, indeed, on that day they will be veiled from their Lord. Mahjub means that which is in the state of hijab, concealed, hidden, veiled. Those with tarnished hearts cannot see the truth and thus cannot perceive God and the reality of the cosmos. On that day, they will be like blind persons veiled from the truth and thus unable to apprehend reality, just as they could not perceive God and the realities in this life, and will burn in hell. Naturally, people who are distant from reality will face destruction due to the traces and effects of their own behavior, deeds, and lifestyles. Then they will be told, 
This is what you used to deny. They are told, taste the torment that you considered a lie. So far, the discussion has been about the fujar, how their wickedness negates their ability to perceive reality in this world and the next, and how their behavior and deeds, not to mention the ensuing consequences, will be revealed on that day. These short-sighted, selfish, and egotistical people who violate others' rights and call these truths tales of the ancients have hearts that are now so dulled that they are veiled from the truth and God. The discussion now shifts to the muttaqi, the God-conscious. Know indeed, the record of the righteous is in iliyin, in an abrar, open field, as well as honest, upright, and kind, everything is visible on the horizon, for mountains and hills are absent. Likewise, bar, people, have large hearts and a wide-ranging view. Narrow-minded people are only concerned with themselves and maybe their immediate and perhaps extended family members. People with open hearts and expansive vision care about the rights of their neighbors, fellow citizens, and finally, all human beings. They believe that everyone is entitled to the same rights by virtue of being human, regardless of their particular religion, culture, ethnicity, or nationality. They honor all human beings simply because they are fellow creations of God. Their deeds are recorded in the Iliyin, whereas those of the wicked, Fujar, are recorded in the Sijin. The latter, who are imprisoned and shackled in a constricted area, cannot escape, whereas the former have ascended to great heights and are enjoying an extensive vantage point. This metaphor is intended to make us understand that a righteous person's deeds are stationed in a lofty and exalted place. What will explain to you what Aliyin is? Here, the Quran reminds us that our minds should not get entangled with the metaphor that has been related above. Rather than taking it as a literal description, we should understand the truth of the matter. A written record. Our fate is sorted out and inscribed based on our deeds and actions that are recorded, witnessed by those who are brought near. This record is witnessed by those who seek closeness to God, muqarrabun, namely, those whose exalted position enables them to observe, witness, and be present. Those who desire to attain such a lofty station must seek this closeness diligently, for God is the fountainhead of all beauty and perfection. People cannot reach such a spiritually exalted state if their sight is set on this material, carnal, and lowly world because all such things remove them even further from him. Indeed, the virtuous will be in bliss. These benevolent people will enjoy an abundance of blessings. Gazing from atop thrones 
The word thrones denotes the authority and power that the God-conscious possess. It is similar to the expression throne of authority, which signifies a ruler's power. Benevolent people possess exalted positions that allow them to view everything. In contrast, those enslaved to this material world cannot see beyond themselves and their own interests. As an example, people standing on a mountaintop have a broader view than they do when standing on the ground. You will see the radiance of joy on their faces. The faces of those who seek the truth radiate with joy and pleasure of everlasting bliss. In contrast to those who seek this world's fleeting pleasures and joys, all of which leave behind no everlasting legacy. They will be given sealed pure wine to drink. The passive verb yuskauna, drinking, naturally does not specify who is drinking. As they grow in spiritual perfection and become close to God, their thirst is spontaneously quenched. The laws governing this world quench the thirst of those on its path, whereas those who are aligned with the path of truth and reality have their thirst quenched automatically. The Abrar's thirst is quenched with pure wine, rahiq. Many exegetes believe that makhtum means sealed, but upon reflection, a thing can be sealed only after it has been closed. Therefore, rahiq makhtum means that the pure wine received belongs only to the recipient directly in proportion to one's deeds, and that this particular person was the one who sealed it, the seal of which is musk. So let those with longings compete for that. Worldly wine, after the initial joy, tastes bitter. In contrast, this wine, which has been sealed with musk, has such a sweet-smelling fragrance that it leaves the whole body drenched in its aroma. Those who are competitive should vie to drink from this cup. Some exegetes have interpreted tanafas to mean competition over an exquisite prize. People compete over worldly possessions or lust after other things that are beneath their dignity. However, seekers of truth compete over their divine-like attributes like being kinder and more generous. And they are the ones who watch over the world from an exalted position. Mixed with the water of Tasneem, this wine is mixed with that which elevates a person, Tasneem. In Arabic, all words used to indicate a tall tree, a camel's hump, the highest point of its body, or a camel with a prominent hump are derived from the root meaning to raise and to ascend. Here, the verse conveys that this wine is made up of ingredients that elevate people into otherwise inaccessible spiritual realms, a spring from which only those close to God will be allowed to drink. Those who draw close to God by aligning themselves with the path of truth and reality, 
like prophets and truthful and righteous people, have grasped the essence of life and will drink from this spring's fountainhead. As the abrar grow in spiritual perfection, their cups become larger and able to hold more wine until, similar to those close to God, muqarrabun, they also arrive at this fountainhead. The Quran often uses wine and drunkenness as metaphors, particularly in the shorter chapters. As pointed out earlier, the Quran employs language and experiences that are in tune with the times so that people can relate to its message. The pre-Islamic Arabs, who were well acquainted with drunkenness, were advised that true spiritual ecstasy and a lofty stature could only be attained through self-surrender and self-annihilation in God and by abandoning this world. The sinners used to laugh at the believers. Ajramu is derived from a root meaning to cut or detach. Mujrim is from the same root and refers to a criminal, one who no longer has any relationship with the law and regulations. In the spiritual sense, they are the sinners who ridicule believers and who have severed their relationship with God, the prophet, and the laws governing the world, winking at each other when they, the believers, passed by them. When the believers walked by them, they would use body language to denigrate and humiliate them. They looked down on the believers for praying, fasting, and observing their other religious precepts and obligations. When they, the sinners, return to their families, they would return mocking. When they are with those who think like they do, they are overjoyed and very happy. And whenever they, the sinners, saw them, they would say, These people are misguided. Whenever they encountered the believers, they viewed them as ignorant fools who had gone astray, even though they, the sinners, were not appointed to watch over them. As the believer's choice and freedom does not impinge upon that of the sinners, the latter have no right to enroach upon the former's freedom. Everyone adopts a way of thinking, a path, and a religion of their choice. Do you consider yourselves the guardians of others, and as having the right to constrain their freedom of religion, even to the extent of taunting and ridiculing them. What mandate do you have to judge them? But on that day, the believers will laugh at the deniers of the truth. On this day in the hereafter, the believers will laugh at those who thought that these truths belonged to a bygone era. Observing them from atop thrones. On that day, firmly seated on their exalted positions, they will set their sights on lofty horizons. Have the deniers of the truth been rewarded for what they did? Will the deniers who concealed reality be held responsible for their deeds? Remember that we, not God, determine our fate. This is the only chapter that begins and ends with verses about people's deeds 
and its main point is how our deeds shape our ultimate destiny. In conclusion, this chapter's primary message is that we are in a process of perpetual awakening in this world and that we possess an exalted and lofty position because God breathed His Spirit into us. We must not allow the narrow prison cell of this world to constrain us. Instead, we must strive to grow in our humanity, drink from the cup of divine knowledge, and become intoxicated by drinking the divine wine.